This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Is Liz Cheney's potential third-party presidential run the exception that proves the rule about third-party presidential runs? I'm Matt Robeson, Balance of Power Roundtable, part of the Beyond Politics podcast. Paul Hodes, Alicia Preston, our panel, one former Democratic U.S. congressman, one, you're still a Democrat, you still got that going. And, and I'm still Preston, a former congressman. Our analyst, our consultant, our political consultant, our columnist. You are all things to all people. And hey, yeah, thanks Anna to everybody later. who has been uh, jumping on my call for leaving some ratings and reviews. We appreciate it. Our number of uh, ratings has gone up. We still could use some reviews. If you're having trouble with that, we're having trouble with Apple, darn it, but please go to your podcast app. It's real simple to do. Just go to your podcast app, especially you got to be signed in on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll down below the episodes and down at the very bottom, you'll see a place to tap for five stars, please. And a little pen symbol and it'll say, write a review. Just tap on that and just Say some nice things. We'd appreciate it. It helps us out a ton. All right, let's talk Liz Cheney. She just floated the idea that she might run for president, third party candidacy, because of her concern about the devastating impact of a potential Trump third term. What I just teased at the top there was we've talked about the fact that third party runs this year are potentially really damaging, like they could actually help Donald Trump a lot. So. Paul, do you welcome this potential move? Would this help Joe Burt, Joe Biden? So the my answer is yes and no. Do I welcome Wait, whoa, whoa. Yes and no on would it do either? Yeah, <laughs> yes and no. So here's where the yes is. Here's where the no is. All right. Yes, it could help Joe Biden to the extent that Liz Cheney becomes the home for disaffected Republicans like our annihilator. Alicia Preston, who says, okay, Liz Cheney is a person of integrity. She is, she has all the conservative credentials anybody could want. She's a legacy Republican name. She's the real deal. She proved herself as a tough nut who could handle foreign policy as well as everything else. I'm going for her. So yes, drawing tr Trump vote, drawing potential Republicans Republican voters who feel they have to hold their nose and vote for Trump, it gives them a real home to go to. The no is that she could win. So that would not help Joe Biden very much because- Wait, you think she could win? You think she, she could win the presidency I think this, as a third party? I, I think this is an extraordinary moment in our history. And I think given her star status- from her television appearances as the voice of integrity and the voice of doom for Donald Trump and her background and experience, she has a shot of actually wow what no wow. third party candidate ever has. Um, I am Paul, I'm trying to figure out right now, are you being a podcast provocateur or is this the <laughs> devastating consequence of the decades long campaign to legalize it? 
I'm concerned that it might be the latter. Okay, so I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but she would be a formidable force on the political landscape as a third-party candidate. In my view, she is a more attractive candidate than any third-party candidate I have I That's can, damning McVeigh praise. Hold on. I, I got to say, against the field of Jill Stein, one of the most moronic human beings ever. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To yeah, see yeah. Cornell West, who was just revealed, is a financial catastrophe. And wow, what a history of two-timing romantic partners and divorces. Not to bring his personal life into this, but it. Wait, wait a um, second. And then there... RFK Jr., the conspiracy theorist. Right. Yes, Liz Cheney is a more attractive I, candidate. I'm not even than talking. Wait a second. I'm not even talking about just the current crop of third party, third candidate, third party candidate bozos. I'm talking she's about. She's better than Ross Perot. You're, yeah. you're blowing my mind here. Yeah, she's better than Ross Perot. She, she absolutely <laughs> is. Your mind may be blown. Gary Anderson? Absolutely. She is because. She has gravitas and cred. Teddy Roosevelt, who ran as a third party candidate, Bull Moose well, ticket. He didn't no? run. He didn't run around an inflection point in American history, where the stakes for our democracy are what they are, and she didn't. He didn't have her television appeal. She's really good on camera, by the way, and in a visual world where people get their impressions. She could siphon Democratic votes, the more moderate conservative Democrats and others who are disaffected with Biden who say she stood up to Trump. She has the ability to govern. I'm going for it. I just think she's I'm a sorry, I think candidate. For my money, that last piece comes directly from Cheech and Chong's dispensary, which is now open, because in the area I live, there are no fewer than 17 freaking dispensaries, because apparently everyone's on pot what has happened to the world alicia speaking of which you might be feeling right now tugged in different directions and maybe going a little bit crazy because liz cheney seems like straight out of central casting in hollywood for the kind of candidate you might like she's as strongly i sound like trump she's very as strong, strong hugely very strong hugely. she's hugely anti-trump she's, she's huge she's as big an anti-trump Republican, but she is a conservative. Paul, the reason, by the way, that I think you're not quite right on siphoning Democratic votes, but I could be wrong, is she would get annihilated on the pro-life thing. But but I, but I, Alicia, how do you feel about that? Because Paul could be right. That's the danger as a political operative, as a campaign consultant. You look at the numbers just like I do, and I'm sure you must be thinking that if the name of the game at the end of the day is beat Donald Trump, Liz Cheney doesn't necessarily help that, right? No, I think she does. Let me tell you why. So first of all, if I go into the ballot box in November of 2024 and Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, which I am less and less convinced is a guarantee at this point, but I'll Ooh. get to that later. I would vote for Liz Cheney if she's on that ballot. Absolutely. And a lot of Republicans like me would. Why it helps Joe Biden is because I don't think she siphons off Democrat votes because of kind of what you mentioned, but not just the pro-life issue. Despite the fact that the MAGA world likes to call Liz Cheney a rhino or whatever it is, she is far more conservative than Donald Trump ever even pretended to be. She's a very conservative member of Congress and all her policy beliefs, which I personally like. In addition, she's strong. She's bold. She's formidable. I think she could absolutely siphon off enough votes from Donald Trump if he is the nominee to keep Biden in office. I, I don't think she hurts Biden. I, I don't know who would 
siphon off from Democrats to vote for a Liz Cheney. It would be a very small number. And look, we're talking about swing states that matter, right? Uh, not the blue states don't matter. The red states don't matter. The swing states. And in those swing states, the, the people making the decision tend to be moderate. And I think some of her conservative principles, which I completely respect, admire and support, for the most part, would make it such that Democrats or those middle of the road voters wouldn't go for her. But I think she knows exactly what she's doing. I don't think she plans on being president. Not this time around. I think she is literally just trying to torpedo Donald Trump's campaign for the good of the country, which here. Here, I am going to hope that she has the professional campaign team around her that will take a cold, calculating, hard look at the numbers and conclude that they will do this if and only if, that's a throw out to math nerds out there, IF, this is the kind of thing Dork. that does exactly, yeah, proud of it, that does exactly <laughs> what Alicia just said. If and only if on the margin, she is taking way more from Donald Trump and helping. She's been very clear that her objective is to stop Trump. It's not necessarily mathematically clear that's always the case. Paul could be right. Alicia could be right. And so if you do this, Liz, our friend, be as confident as you possibly can be because we are playing with fire here. And just, I, I don't want to turn this into a math exercise, but just to give a little bit more texture to that, what we're talking about is campaign professionals believe that there's maybe 6% up to maybe 9% of the American electorate that is still truly swing, that is truly potentially gettable by a candidate from either side. It's not a huge chunk, but it's that margin that makes the difference in these super close swing states, your Arizonas, your Wisconsin's, your Georgia's. And it was in those three states that the last election was decided by a collective margin of 40,000 votes. So what you have to think to yourself is, let's assume that's the starting point in 2024, that all things being equal, all things, that's where we're coming from. What happens to those 40,000 votes? My concern is that among them, you had some middle of the road voters who might have, if the only choice is Joe Biden, Donald Trump, might have been forced to conclude, I'm going with Biden and I'm holding my nose to do it. And a vote is a vote. And if Liz Cheney is the option, they will be Alicia on this in 2024. They will conclude like Alicia would conclude. And Alicia, I think the subtext, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I think the subtext to what you just said is, you go into the voting booth in 2024, in November, and Liz Cheney on the ballot, you're voting for her. If you see only realistic choices of Biden and Trump on the ballot, are you willing to say right now that you are going to cast a vote gasp for Joe Biden? I'm going to preface this so it's not taken out of context. Are you to put Biden, you on the spot? You don't no, have to. I'll answer okay. it. I'll answer it. I think Joe Biden is not a good president. I think he's too old for the presidency. I don't support a lot of his policies, including student debt relief, and I could go on and on. I do not think Joe Biden is a threat to democracy in America as we know it. I think Donald Trump is. So, yes, if those were my only two choices and a third party isn't viable to matter in the decision making, I would cast a vote for Joe Biden. And I think, thank you. I think that is a brilliant, concise summation of how many swing voters feel. 
And I'm and, not a swing voter. Let's not. And you're not a swing voter. Right. So you're not who keeps our Democratic political operative sistren and brethren up at night. Because on the margin, your decision is another vote for Trump or not another vote for Trump, or your decision matters less. Our concern is more for the people who are independent, who really truly do swing, or who might even be Democrats. The, here's the thing. Might the, get he, siphoned off. So, he, so here's the thing. The reason uh, I talked about the potential to siphon votes from Biden is because we talk about one-issue voters. And so if we look at that 6 to 9% of true swing voters, uh, call them independents, call them undecided, call them moderate, call whatever we may call them, if a certain percentage of them, think about what our annihilator just led with, Biden's too old. Never mind the fact that Trump is closing in on the same age and is mentally defective. And nobody mentions, oh, yeah, Trump is too old, too. They, nobody is saying that. But to the extent that we think this election is about saving democracy, but voters think that this is about, is Biden too old? A candidate like Liz Cheney, who is younger, she's what, she's only in her 60s, younger, more vibrant appearing, could swing either that some of those six to nine percent or even disaffected Democrats who say, I'll suffer the conservative slings and arrows of the defeat of what I believe in because she's not too old. They're, I'm just raising the possibility that kind, that that issue, which is so prevalent now in the media and so much a topic of discussion, could give her a boost that we're not thinking about. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And to build on that point, which is a good one, Again, if you're sitting in the White House or you're sitting in Biden campaign HQ, what you might be thinking is, okay, it's all well and good for Cheney to siphon votes from Trump. But what happens if voters are unaware of her very conservative views right. Right, on right, right. economics, foreign, to some extent foreign policy, but mostly economics and social policy? And then you need to expend your campaign resources, which you want to fire 100% at Donald Trump, on trying to educate voters, whoa, 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 not Cheney either. That could weaken your whole enterprise as well. So it's I'm just suggesting that it's complicated. it's complicated. And I'll take us out of here on this topic on this. This is a little bit of the princess bride choice. Democrats feel like they want to make this the princess bride choice. Clearly, I can't choose the wine in front of you. Clearly, I can't choose the wine in front of me. And they believe that if that's the choice, that people will swallow the wine that says Joe Biden on it, even if it's laced with Iocane powder. And for people who haven't seen that film, What's Wrong With You? Mowage. 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 But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. This is my father prepared to die. 
if there was a wine in front of you and a wine in front of me and they're both laced with Iocane and then Alicia comes in and says, could I offer you this goblet over here that is probably not poisoned? A lot of people would choose that. That's what makes us all nervous. Speaking of difficult choices, we talked at the end of last week, I put out a show with our Blue Amp YouTube channel partner, Cliff Schechter, a quick rapid reaction show to George Santos being sent out uh, ousted from Congress. And we talked about the political dynamics. And I, I think it got summed up by, look, this isn't like Republicans in the House suddenly growing a conscience or like an ethics gene. This is, they just don't want to be weighed down by the George Santos thing any longer. They'd rather sacrifice that seat in a special election, which, you know, the odds are they probably will, and not have him weighing down the rest of the New York Republican delegation in 2024. And they now have enough coherence and enough like cohesion in the House that they're willing to sacrifice one more vote. That's what this was about. But there's been a more fundamental question out there. And I am going to, at the risk of angering our Democratic Party listeners and maybe outraging people, I am going to take the size side of this was bad. Expelling George Santos without a conviction in a court of law was a mistake. It was the wrong move. I am against it. Paul, you're a former member of Congress. If you had been in Congress, would you have voted to expel George Santos? Oh, now you're trying to put me on the spot, but let me just deflect for a moment and think about it. <laughs> I'm going to settle back at, at my favorite dispensary and get ready for this. All right, go ahead. Pass the Hindu Kush, Alicia. <laughs> you're going to make me forget everything and just leave my yeah, get to, right light, to the point, light man. the bong. So the point is, <laughs> even the Republicans could not stomach a guy who, among other things, among all the cavalcade of hits and misdeeds, was stole from a fellow member of his caucus. He stole from a, a, a Republican congressman and, and his, his mother, mother and his clear. wife. He took their credit card numbers and charged them for his campaign profligate, whatever he was doing with all that money. I he think he got Botox. Didn't he get Botox? Yeah, he stole from a fellow member of Congress. So conviction or no, that seems to be a bridge too far. When the fellow member of Congress gets up, basically, and says, he stole from me, it's really hard to say, oh, let's wait for uh, a conviction. Right. Now, Not to break no, your, your head of steam, I, uh, pun, pun intended, but hard disagree. I don't think they cared. I don't think they cared that he stole from a fellow member of Congress okay, and his a, mother and yeah. shot his dog or whatever else George Santos did. I think they only cared about no. hurting themselves politically. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that for many of them. Not for all of them, but for many of them. Yeah, there would have been a great campaign, the party of Santos. What, what do you want? The party of Santos lies, lie, cheat, steal for running for Congress. That's a great line. The party of Santos, the party that lies, cheats and steals and doesn't throw the guy out when it's clear that he's a criminal. So well, I, I get less it. Of a line, more of a paragraph. But let me you can't filibuster your way out of this one, Hodes. If you had been in Congress still, I'm just going to go take another toke. Would you have voted to expel some smoke from your lungs and George <laughs> Santos? In this case, yes. Alicia, I have a sneaking suspicion that you agree with me. 
I do agree with you. I look, Santos is more than a buffoon. There's something functionally wrong with that man. Like functionally in his brain, he's just it's bizarre. He shouldn't be in Congress. But it's a dangerous precedent. And I think a couple of weeks ago on the show, I was flipping about it. Yeah, get rid of him. I don't care. But as I actually paid attention and the history of when the last time expelling a House member was used, what it was used for, and learned that, I went, wait a minute, this is serious stuff. And it shouldn't be so easy to get rid of a member of Congress. They're allowed to. It's in their rules. The Ethics Committee had a report. But at the end of the day, if he's not convicted of something... I don't think I think it's a slippery, slippery slope in a place in this country where politics is so divisive. Everyone's impeaching, trying to impeach everybody because it's on the other side. It's just dangerous. And I don't think that it should have happened. I was reminded or I want to connect over to the fact that Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor passed away the end of last week. And one of her legacies in addition to the fact that she came to regret her decision in Bush v. Gore, was that was the reason for why she regretted that. Because she feared that the decision had eroded Americans' confidence in the Supreme Court. The most valuable role that the Supreme Court plays in our society is it is trusted. It reinforces an agreement, a social contract that we all have that we are going to abide by the rule of law. That's why the three of us agree so passionately in this group about Donald Trump and him being held to account under the law. And I fear for the erosion of trust in the judicial system. And I am inherently against non-judicial means to punish people in our society. If we start to believe that we can just decide through extrajudicial means who is guilty, who is innocent, who should be punished, and how, then we go a massive step down the road to the whole thing falling apart. I agree. I am sure that George Santos is probably guilty. If this were a civil trial where the standard is preponderance of the evidence, and I were trying to issue a ruling, I'd say, yes, liable. But this isn't a trial. This is trial by press release. This is trial by- well, well, Let me ask you a question. Let me yeah. ask you a question. Does Is a conviction required to impeach a president? An impeachment? Yes. No. Well, an impeachment but... is an indictment. That's the grand a jury. Exactly. So, so a trial is held mm-hmm. in the Senate, I and understand. therefore it is a judicial proceeding. No, which it's is not. Why it's not? It's an extrajudicial proceeding because although there is a semblance of due process, none of the rules of civil or criminal procedure that attend to a true judicial proceeding in federal or state criminal courts apply. They can do what they want. Okay, can we, can, but can we agree on this? Can we it's agree a, on this? It, it, it doesn't. Yes, you're right. Yes, it, you're right. Yes, about it, that. yes, it's a proceeding, and. But there's at least an opportunity for the accused to present their side oh, and to have ca- witnesses in the, in the and the evidence. Case of, in the case of Santos, the House of Representatives, uh, which is not a judicial body, uh, it's a representative body, has an ethics procedure. And the ethics procedure can be either cursory or it can be extensive. In this case, he was subject to an extensive investigation 
and process in the ethics committee. And I confess, I don't know to what extent he participated, but I know that there was a significant ethics committee investigation, which at least from the appearances and from what I can read, went far beyond the usual somewhat cursory ethics investigations that I am familiar with. They went in depth to the various accusations and concluded not only they concluded all the bad things about him, referred him, referred their findings to the Department of Justice for prosecution. To that extent, to that's that where ex- the that's where the process is, right? Referred him to the Department of Justice to see if there should be any criminal action taken. The, but for, every for the judiciary, leg- the difference e- that's a every, massive difference. Every legislative body holds the right in their rules to expel members for a variety of reasons. We saw, where what, where was it? Was it Georgia? Where that we saw a wrongful expulsion? It was Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, that we saw the wrongful expulsion of uh, members of Congress because they were Black. That and, is and, not it. And but... make, make a noise. I'm just, all I'm doing is citing- But it was, for, it was for political reasons. It was political reasons. I'm citing examples of a legislative body which has a right to discipline its members in various ways. If, if if Santos, it's clear when you go into the to when you're elected and you go into the United States Congress, you also subject yourself to the processes of that house for misbehavior. Which but this can is range, but can I draw a different analogy from which can range from censure to expulsion. Yeah, but, but here's the is, thing. Yeah, this is a you just because they can doesn't mean they should. The New Ham- the U.S. House is doing an impeachment inquiry on Joe Biden, and they can do that. They have absolutely every right to do it. Should they? No, because it's wholly political. And I expect my Congress to be held to higher standards than just what they are allowed to do. And moreover, to me, the analogy, and I agree, obviously everything you're saying is right, Paul. They you can be subject to internal discipline. It's the same thing as if you go to work for a company and when you sign your employment contract, you are subject to internal discipline. You are subject potentially to being fired if misbehave in some way. I would oppose someone being fired based on a one-sided inquiry in which you have no opportunity to present your side of the case in which HR just comes in and says, hey, we've decided based on our investigation, which trust us was very thorough, that we don't like what you're doing and you're fired. And no, you don't get any word in this and people sue for that kind of thing. My point is, I am a judicial system purist. Do companies have the right to do that? Absolutely. And if someone is behaving really badly, can they fire people? Yes, but that's why you have wrongful firing lawsuits. And in this case, you're imposing a significant sanction against someone for allegations of significant wrongdoing, but nonetheless, they are still only allegations. To me, that is not only a bad move in itself, but a very dangerous precedent because you raise the cases, the the case of the Justins, the men and one woman who were (laughs) expelled, oh, I'm sorry, the woman, it's a long story, who were expelled in Tennessee. We are not that far removed at this point from the U.S. House of Representatives deciding for whatever reason, including political reasons, to expel members of Congress. I am outraged 
at the comments of Pramila Jayapal the other day. Outraged. You can look them up. I don't even want to refer to them. They make me so angry. I don't even want to talk about them. I don't think she should be expelled because of them. And we are only a step removed from the House deciding to expel members for unpopular speech, for political stances, and for non-judicial reasons, and in a process that is not a judicial process. And I'm against that. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. And can I jump onto your analogy with the corporation firing somebody? Let us not forget the people that fired George Santos are not the people who hired him. And the people need to be given the right to fire him unless he is convicted of a crime and it's before an election. And then that's a totally different story. But the people of his district in New York, citizens, elected George Santos. And it's another group of people that fired him. Now, we all agree that the one exception to this is Donald Trump, who should be launched out of a cannon into space. But that is a story Fair. for another time. Fair. Speaking of which, it's another time. Hey, a court decided that he can be held civilly liable for his actions on January 6th. Let's do a, a couple of rapid fire ones. Paul, you're our judicial expert here, former prosecutor, although I'm not sure I feel that way after your last answer. Big deal, little deal or no deal. Donald Trump potentially civilly liable for his actions on Jan 6. Big deal because the opinion relates to the issue of his immunity. He claimed basically blanket immunity because he was president. The ruling says, yeah, you were, but now you're not. And everybody can go. It's open season on Donald Trump. And that is a big deal. Alicia, I referenced earlier the passing of former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. She was a trailblazer. She was a Republican and she was a woman who broke a major glass ceiling. Any reflections or thoughts from you? Sandra Day O'Connor was put under the Supreme Court when I was just a kid, and it was a big deal for little girls everywhere. Um, that's it. I didn't yeah. paper on her when I was in like the eighth grade, I think it was. You look at women like me nowadays, Look, I know there's sexism and misogyny around the world, but for the most part, we're treated equally. I certainly am. And it's because of people like Sandra Day O'Connor that we are. I There were obviously things that I personally, I'll just weigh in on this one real quick. I know we're going rapid fire, but I'll just say that there were obviously rulings she gave that I personally disagreed with, <laughs> but I, I have yet to find someone who didn't have a high level of respect for her as a professional, as a jurist, and who doesn't acknowledge the profound role she had as a role model. And she should be justly remembered for that and for that massive societal impact. Paul, let me give you a rapid fire one. I want to talk, I want to talk, you got into politics to oppose George W. Bush and to oppose the war in Iraq, which many Democrats feel was not only one of the great disasters of American history, potentially, but that it was potentially replete with war crimes committed by Americans. And they hold George W. Bush in complete disregard for that. And yet, and yet, it's undeniable that one of his greatest achievements, ranking up there with one of the great achievements of a president in the last hundred years, was his commitment to creating PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, a bipartisan program that 20 years ago was started and has to date been credited with saving the lives of 20 
5.1 million people, mostly in Africa, ensured 5.5 million babies were born HIV-free to mothers living with the virus, trained 340,000 healthcare workers to deliver HIV care, and supported 7 million orphans, vulnerable children, and their caregivers. This is the kind of accomplishment that people win Nobel Peace Prizes for. And now it is under threat. We can't, our leaders can't even agree to continue this program, which has been so resoundingly bipartisan and so incredibly successful. Your thoughts? It's a good program. It should continue. And it's the template for dealing with other global, similar global crises. So sure, we can credit George Bish for that. As you said, Bish, B-I-S-H. I said Bish. You did. George Bush, Bash, Bush. We don't want to bash. Because I'm on the Kush. We don't want to bash Bish, Bush. Don't give me that Kush anymore, you Kush. Listen, so we, we credit- My booby made a Kishka is what I'm trying yeah, to say. We, pres- we credit the president for PEPFAR. And it's a sad day that the parties cannot get together to see the benefit, the global benefit and the benefit to our national security from similar programs. Let's, Alicia- uh, second to last rapid fire. There's been a raft of stories. I have a feeling that by this time next week or the week after, we may be focusing a lot on this, but it's crunch time in if there's going to be any glimmer of a hope in the Republican presidential nomination process to have a candidate emerge who can beat Donald Trump. We're down to brass tacks here. So there is a big move afoot to push Chris Christie out. There, Doug Burgum is now officially out, not that matters. And Ron DeSantis, there are a ton of stories about how he's circling the drain and the signs are out there. The pro-DeSantis super PAC fired all of its top officials. People are increasingly inside the DeSantis campaign saying it's over, quote, it's a dumpster fire, according to one person close to DeSantis. Do you think this is gonna be successful getting all these other candidates out and apparently trying to coalesce around Nikki Haley as the stop Trump candidate. I don't think DeSantis will go anywhere. I'm informed that Chris Christie is not leaving before the New Hampshire primary. I think that's unfortunate. I have nothing against Chris Christie. He was a good governor. He's been very bold and vocal in his positions on Donald Trump and you know what that means for America, but he's not going to win. He doesn't have a chance of winning. There is no path to victory, Chris Christie. Governor, thank you for your service. Get out. We need to coalesce behind somebody. I don't know if it's going to work in Iowa, but I can tell you in New Hampshire, in addition to Americans for Prosperity, putting their boots on the ground and all their efforts behind Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, it was announced yesterday, a group of millionaires and billionaires have gotten together to run a targeted independent, a targeted independent campaign for Nikki Haley, which is vital because if you guys have heard me for the last six months, I've been complaining on this program and others, no one's targeting independents. There are 30% Democrats in New Hampshire, 30% Republicans in New Hampshire, 40% independents who have no reason to pull a Democratic ballot and can pull a Republican on that way. If Nikki Haley can get 20% of Republicans and 70% of independents who vote, she can beat Donald Trump. She doesn't have to. She can come on a very strong seven, second rocket out of here. But the math is the math. And if people coalesce behind her, then and there's fewer people on the ballot, then she can actually beat Donald Trump. And that should be the goal for everybody who cares about this country now. By the way, for attentive listeners, you may have noted in there that Alicia made a teeny tiny bit of news. She is very well sourced in New Hampshire Republican circles. And so the understanding that Chris Christie is not planning to get out before the New Hampshire primary is a big deal. So we will keep our eyes on that. All right, let's get out on a fun one. This is an under the radar story. And I just, 
I, I want to raise it just because I don't think most people realize how much it matters. If I ask all of our folks at home or in the car, wherever you are listening to this, what's the biggest lobbying entity in Washington? Do you know what it is? Would it surprise you to learn that it's the National Association of Realtors? Yes, the Realtors, NAR, are a BFD in DC. Wow, that, that was a lot of acronyms. And I, Paul, I wanted to turn to you first because you have been, as a member of Congress, exposed to just how much political power they wield. They give the most campaign contributions as a pack, and their in-state entities, their coalitions of realtors, they're a big deal as a political force in everyone's home state and everyone's home district. And so it's with that in mind that it came to my attention that there is a potential that realtors could be facing a legal reckoning, according to Politico. They've already been hit with private lawsuits. They've already lost one major case that could cost them up to $5.4 billion because their critics say that they are inflating the cost of housing through their usurious commission fees and that they amount to a monopoly. They need to be broken up to open up the home selling market. Your reaction, Paul? The, the It's okay. The, You're not running for Congress anymore. You can be honest about this. So the commissions of real estate agents are not what are blocking or, or softening home sales. The high interest rates are to blame at the moment for what's softening home sales in addition to the lack of inventory. On the other hand, yes, the NAR, not the NRA, has an awful lot of clout when it comes to lobbying in Congress. Now, if the Justice Department independent, independent from Congress decides to go after them and I'm not sure exactly how they'd go about it, going after the National Association of Realtors for monopolistic practices that I suppose that could happen. I don't think it will. Alicia, we were talking before the show. We talked a little bit about this. We mentioned that there are sensitivities here. We all have realtors we know in our lives. Some of us have realtors in our families. So I'm not looking to dunk on realtors, but what do you think? I would like to thank my realtor grandparents for their success in the industry, for setting us up in the life that we were able to live since their passing. That is so judicious of you. Oh, so, so you, temperate. You, so you don't vote for him. Oh, Alicia oh, Preston. So you, she, do, she doesn't vote me for me an trust suit. <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to get uh, out on this one. Listen, I have real, some of my best friends are realtors. But I think anyone who's gone through this process knows that there's something broken here. And I'm it's expensive. Only, I'm only going to weigh on this. I'm not going to jump on this from an economics standpoint. I'm just going to weigh in on it from a politics standpoint. I will say economically that according to the National Association of Realtors own statistics, the typical realtor is a 60 year old white woman who attended college, owns a home, works on average 30 hours per week with a median gross income of $56,000 a year, which is above average, especially for working 30, 30 hours, hours a week. week. <laughs> I have to say this seems uh, congratulations on your success. It does seem like there's maybe something a little bit amiss about this, but what is most amiss about it, it is true that realtors wield a disproportionate amount of political power. People care 
I should say, congressional staffers, political operatives, and members of Congress care about the realtor lobby. There are decisions that are heavily influenced because of the realtor lobby. And it's because of that two-pronged attack that they have gobs of money for political donations in Washington, and they have politically engaged members who are out in their communities and are well-networked and well-organized back home. And running afoul of your local realtors is not a great idea as a politician. And this matters, and I am against any group having that amount of accreted power in our system. And on that note, wow, that was a lot of grab bag issues. We got to get out of here. All right, we're all going to go relax with our, our favorite relaxing agent. And for Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt. We will see you next time.